AVXL episode 137 was recorded on April 29th, 2021. There's a fix for that Denon Morantz 4K 120Hz 8K problem, and it's a box. 2020 LG OLEDs are getting cheap. We got some entry-level AVR picks and a big old pile of viewer questions. And hey, if you've got a question for us, email ask at avxl.com. And thank you to each and every one of you that supports us on patreon.com slash avxl. Your contributions make this podcast possible. Thanks. Testing one, two, three. All right. I'm not blowing anything out. Ignorant weasels chewing on your soul. Ignorant weasels. Do you have speed? Yeah. Welcome to AVXL, your guide to the best in home video and audio gear, no matter what your budget is. I'm Patrick Norton. Hey, I am Robert Heron. I've been listening to a lot of music this week, and it is good. Nice. I just want to say that. I am yeah. itching to hook up a NAS box that's currently unplugged that contains the majority of my audio CD collection. And I need to go through it and do some scanning and verification that these files are okay. There's only a handful that I think I have a problem with, but that's uh, this week's project. Get the NAS on the network and check some files out and maybe do some additional backups. My secondary backup for my NAS is no longer in my possession. And uh, yeah, <laughs> and I realized I don't think I have another one. <laughs> so that could be problematic. Time to get that done. I was back up on Bandcamp again. I know I've mentioned this before. I'm probably going to mention it again. But essentially, it's a place for artists to sell their albums, digital versions of their albums directly online. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's just something glorious about buying directly from the artist rather than paying like $80 for a used CD. Not that I, there's anything wrong with used CDs. And I've owned hundreds of probably used CDs. Lord knows how many I've bought over the years. I've got like seven gigantic 25-gallon buckets full of CDs in storage. You know, like I was looking for a Lightning Bolt album. You know, I, I will say many of you will not enjoy the Lightning Bolt experience, which is okay. 13 Monsters by Lightning Bolt. Love that song because I'm broken and it makes me happy. It's two guys. It's like a drum set and strings and it's loud and it's aggressive. And it was impossible to find that album. But there it was, much to my joy, on Bandcamp. Pretty sure the money goes straight to the gentlemen that are Lightning Bolt. And uh, I found a lot of albums there over the last year. So it's worth checking. Uh, I'm also excited that... They're going to be touring in September. Very uh, cool. Hopefully I can convince them to come somewhere in the Midwest because Oakland, San Francisco, Portland, and Boise are really far away from St. Louis. <laughs> Still, I think it's pretty cool, though, that you can find the artists you love in a forum or a source that lets yeah. you support them directly. Cutting out as many That's middlemen good. as possible, hopefully. People don't realize how much most artists rely on touring revenue to feed themselves. Right. The merch is critical. Yeah. The merch is critical. The, the money they make on the shows is critical. You know, most albums that are sold by our most albums that are, are it's, you know, let's not get into a lengthy discussion of the economics <laughs> of selling music because I'll start frothing at the mouth. We should probably talk about there were what I will affectionately call challenges as the owner of a Denon AVR X3700H. Not that I'm running into them, but the Panasonic chipset that does 4K, 120Hz, 8K was having what we will affectionately call issues. <laughs> yeah, they were. They had some birthing pains for sure. And all the way through the end of last year, we were seeing updates and potential fixes in the works for right. anyone dealing with a source device that could throw down 4K 120 or let alone AK 60. 
And that really just kind of comes down to the latest generation of video game consoles and some of the latest graphics cards where you would even be trying to do something like this. And apparently the good folks at Marantz and Denon have put out a fix. Finally, if you are still suffering from even with the latest updates, you're still having problems, say, with your Xbox gaming console doing 4K 120. Well, they have a breakout box now to finally (laughs) get past the chipset issue and get your game console flowing at the full bandwidth that you may desire. We should say it's starting May 15th. True. You can request an adapter and then we'll find out uh, how long those takes to ship. I like what Ty Pendlebury tweeted today. Quote, if you're worried about HDMI 2.1 receivers not passing 4K 120 hertz, don't be. The only capable sources are the three things you can't buy right now. The PS5, Xbox Series X and S and graphics cards. It's likely the fix will be available before the devices are or connect it directly to your TV. Connecting it directly to your TV is an option, but... I own the damn VCR, VCR, AVR, <laughs> feeling old all of a sudden, and it would be nice for it to be able to do what it's supposed to, uh, should eventually I ever be able to buy a 3000, or probably before that, a 4000 series GPU. Denon and Marantz, which are both owned by Sound United, there's separate pages on Marantz.com and Denon.com to register for this. You know, it's like Marantz.com slash HDMI adapter, Denon.com slash HDMI adapter. What about Yamaha? Are there any updates on Yamaha? The company has reported back through the good folks over at FlatPanelsHD.com that they are still considering their options for a potential 8K quote-unquote fix. So they are aware that, yeah, they're using the similar Panasonic chipsets in their receivers as well. But they have not thrown down, at least, with a, a full-blown fix for anything you could throw at it in terms of their AVRs and things like 4K 120. At least I give credit for Den and Marantz for putting out something that if you are truly pushing the very limits of what these AVRs right. can do and game consoles, there is a fix now. At least it's coming in the next month or so. <laughs> Yay. Uh-huh. I am not thrilled that it's a standalone separate, basically a giant dongle to make this all work, but <laughs> I wonder what the dongle does, I think is the thing that like when you look at the link, right? That's a pretty big box. Black box with HDMI in, HDMI out, and there you go. And you gotta plug it into the wall. <laughs> Don't question what's in the box. <laughs> Excellent. Speaking of what's in the box, uh, I am delighted to report that uh, the Xbox has audio pass-through in beta versions of the operating system. It's coming to the Series S, Series X. Currently, if you have an Xbox, it muxes, I probably shouldn't use the phrase muxes, it mucks with the audio before it goes out. Uh, Now you will actually be able to pass raw audio directly to your soundbar or your AVR. I'm just going to say this is a good thing. It's in beta trial now and uh, should be coming to the console in the relatively near future. So this is good if you want to have all of the audio possibilities of your gaming system. Exactly, especially if they're going to be supporting something like Dolby Atmos. That will be awesome. And having that just work (laughs) is, yeah, hey, the way it should be. And thank goodness we're seeing some updates for those game consoles too. It's, if you can find one. Not that you can buy buy one, one. but if you have one. (laughs) Oh, I'm now hoping for a 3080 Ti, as I've given up on the 3080, let alone a 3090 at any kind of reasonable price point. I'm just going to throw down. Be done with it. If I can find one. 
So much dreaming. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Speaking of things you can actually buy, there's an OLED rumor. <laughs> yeah. I was listening to one of my favorite people uh, give a talk about some new calibration software. And in the middle of the conversation they were having, they just kind of mentioned how the LG G1 with its Evo OLED panel, their next generation display technology with improved spectral response and increased brightness, which really translates in the real world to having a TV that can effectively hit the same brightness using less power. It casually mentioned that Sony's A90J, as well as Panasonic's latest OLED, their premium designs are using that Evo panel as well. Just a little tidbit. It was something I kind of wondered, and this is not absolute proof from the company's mouth, but it's somebody in the know that I uh, trust and appreciate, and I'm glad they mentioned that, actually. So LG's Evo panel is available in more places, likely, than just in the G1. And speaking of OLED TVs, if you are in the market for one of the 2021 LG OLEDs and you've been waiting for the price maybe to drop a little bit, and they still have not as far as I've seen up to today, consider going with the 2020, the CX model, the GX model. Those are available currently from the usual suspects at prices as low as they've ever been, literally at closeout. I think this is kind of the last hurrah for the 2020 lineup, at least as far as LG's OLEDs go, in terms of the low price that you can get them for right now. Delivered right to your door, brand spanking new. And considering the difference between, say, the 20 and the 21 series OLEDs isn't terribly great, it is a good opportunity. If, if you are shopping today to get the best price possible. It's uh, kind of nice when you look at camel, camel, camel.com and be like, oh, look at that. <laughs> it's good pricing. I mean, just to hammer this home, right? A, a 55 inch uh, CX LG OLED hit the street at somewhere in the neighborhood of like 2158. It's now selling for 1369. Like, basically like a biscuit under $1,400. The 65-inch CX started at $2,800. It's now down to around $1,959. I mean, the lowest it ever hit was, I think, Black Friday for five, maybe 10 minutes. It was at $1,895. So that's that's a healthy drop. It is. That's $800 under what it was, what it launched for. And if you compare that directly to the C1 price or the G1 price, the 2021 lineup currently, they are still right. at effectively full price. So if you're looking for something very similar, one funny thing I noticed that at least in the CX lineup for 2020, the 55 inch is currently less expensive than the 48 inch, that oh so popular hmm. smaller 4K screen. Keep that in mind. If you're on the fence between, say, a 48-inch versus a 55-inch panel, especially with OLED tech, I see no reason not to just go with the slightly less expensive 55-inch version. Get some more screen for less, less money. Yeah. And currently, I'm looking at Amazon, at least if you're a Prime member, they have it for 1350 right. right now, which is for the 55CX. That's as good as it's going to get for at least a while. You're going to have to wait a few months to see a C1 hit that similar pricing. going to be a good while. Yeah. Those prices tend to stay fairly high for a fairly long time. Chris Hanonen had a good post up on the Twitters, and he got hands-on with uh, Apple TV OS 14.5 and took a look at their color balance setting. 
which was the subject of massive amounts of speculation when it was announced. <laughs> Apparently that feature has been in tvOS for a while now, but this is the latest iteration of it, and it is designed to basically calibrate your Apple TV to look better on your TV. And in this thread Chris posted, I want to say yesterday or the day before, he ran through the performance you get using that color balance feature versus doing it manually. I'll just quote his takeaway. I haven't tested HDR and maybe that can help with the EOTF, but my overall takeaway is that this feature can make slight changes, but it is not calibration. And you selecting your TV's most accurate color mode or picture mode will make a 100X more difference than doing this, the color balance feature ever will. To shorten that even further, picking a proper picture preset is going to be more important than using this feature built right. into the Apple TV. So I want vivid mode, right? Because that's the brightest and most in my face. Of course. Of course. And that was the other thing he kind of brought up within that's that. The... I, that's sarcasm. Yes. yes I was. was. <laughs> I was being sarcastic. Stop that. People will believe us. <laughs> and he showed it that as well, where don't expect, if you are using your TV's vivid mode, that color balance right. is suddenly going to make that look calibrated. And... No, it still is more about selecting your TV's best picture preset first for your given room environment. If you're in a dark room environment, you generally want something like a cinema or movie or expert dark mode or whatever that isn't dumping out all the light it can and rather giving you a better experience in a room where your eyes can dark adjust and perceive that detail even better. It's a good thing. Yeah. A shout out to Chris Heinen, though, just for taking the time to do that and to make such a detailed post on the Twitter. It's a great read. And if you haven't read through that yet, I recommend it. It's good information with some good screen grabs of pretty charts and pictures, as well as his uh, expert analysis, which I always appreciate. Speaking of firmware uh, updates or operating system updates, check your Denon and Marantz AVRs because I just got one. Oh, the one of your basic, you know, it's going to make your stuff run better <laughs> updates uh, for more updates. I can't quite figure out what's changed, but it's so funny. It's always kind of nice. I ran into an LG. I want to say it was a C8 OLED from the mm -hmm. 2018 lineup. This person had never plugged it into the Internet, never updated any of the internal software. And oh, we boy. ended up. Before we could even do anything with it, we just had to run through, I think it was at least two updates to get it fully updated. And it was just, I understand not wanting to connect your devices to, you know, the internet and accept the terms and agreement and, <laughs> and the invasion of privacy that that often in incurs. But still, it was at least, if you're going to be doing a calibration on any display system, make sure you're running it with the latest software. Rule out one more potential pitfall of things that can go wrong. True that. In terms of firmware, is A, it can fix minor or significant problems with a screen. Like Rob was saying, it can correct synchronization issues on a projector. Not that I have any thoughts about that. I've been playing around a bunch with Rune because I want to finish a review on Rune 1.8, their latest update to the music streaming software. And then uh, Blue OS, which is from Blue Sound, which is in a company affiliated with NAD and uh, several other audio manufacturers up in Canada. They just did, like I think, the 3.14 update, which brings something I'm not super excited about, which is uh, Radio Paradise doing MQA audio streams. But it also brings support for Spotify, Sirius XM, 
for me, the exciting part is it, it means NAD's high-end uh, streaming boxes, the M33, and I want to say the T778 are now Rune-ready. So that pretty much all of the Blue OS devices on NAD are Rune-ready, which makes them more compatible with an audio server you may already have. You know, you never know what you're going to get if you never, ever update your hardware. True I, that. I know that probably sounds silly to a lot of folks listening, but it's kind of a thing. <laughs> I mentioned before about potential privacy issues of having your network connected TV that nowadays it's a moneymaker for most manufacturers to be able right. to monitor what you're doing. Totally understand not wanting that connection and you can always disconnect it, but I would definitely get the latest software updates. And in the case of some manufacturers, it was directly related to potential security issues with having that device even on your local network. There's always lots of goodness generally in a fix, especially from a major manufacturer. If they're willing yeah. to release that fix, chances are it has some good stuff in it. And it's just worth checking once in a while, even if you uh, decide never to leave that TV connected to the network <laughs> afterwards. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Lenbrook Americas. That's the name I couldn't remember. Who own uh, NAD and Blue Sound and oh. PSB and Dolly. So... Pedro from Portugal. Ooh, I think this is our first email ever from Portugal. Emailed Ask at AVXL. Patrick and Robert, greetings from Portugal. I own a 55-inch LDCX OLED TV. On the last show, you both mentioned it would be wise to step down the OLED brightness from 100% in order to delay degradation. As you know, using native Netflix or Disney Plus apps often kicks on the HDR Dolby Vision mode, which always uses 100% OLED light. What values of OLED light and brightness can I use in order to extend the TV's life but still enjoy good eye candy? How low should I go? Love your show. All the best, Pedro. First of all, we were talking more about like regular traditional LCD flat panels rather than OLEDs. Um, True. I, certainly that was I was thinking about, but you actually have some useful things to say. No, no. <laughs> In the case of OLEDs, especially for the latest models, including like the CX, I find that right. SDR playback, when you're watching just SDR content generally, that TV is not being stressed extremely in terms of its light output, its uh, potential temperature. When Pedro talks about watching, say, Dolby Vision content or any HDR content, that mm -hmm. will always stress an OLED panel more. And that 100% OLED light level plus 100% contrast, generally speaking, for that particular HDR mode or modes is what the TV needs in order to actually display that properly. Now, as long as it's motion video, I would not be worrying about the 100% levels that you see in those menus with right. those particular modes. I would not advise adjusting that, whereas I would be more inclined to do so just with SDR viewing. With HDR content on a TV like the C10, Dolby Vision also has two presets, one called Dolby Vision and one called Dolby Vision Home. It's good to select the one that looks best to your eyes for a given room environment. In the case of regular vision versus vision home, it's a difference between overall light level, particularly in the mid regions. And the home version of Dolby Vision is brightened more so to give you a little more pop when there's some room lighting to deal with. Whereas the Dolby Vision mode is toned down and optimized for a darkroom environment. Be it HDR or Dolby Vision, check for those settings, be it a home or a standard, and you should see an OLED brightness level change when you make those adjustments as well. And I generally will stick with the ones that are on the dimmer side just for that darkroom viewing. 
But it's also not the case where even with HDR content, everything on the screen is at 100% all the time. Most of the content, even the HDR right. content we look at, is still generally within SDR ranges, except for things like peak highlights, extreme color saturation, and other things like that. I wouldn't mess with the HDR settings as much as I would say your daily driver or SDR viewing, maybe for your sports content and things like that, where the TV is generally going to be in an SDR mode, unless you're using a product like Apple TV or Roku devices, which default to converting everything to Dolby Vision or HDR. That is where I'm a little less inclined to use that auto conversion, especially on content that wasn't originally authored as HDR or, or Dolby Vision. Copy that. John emailed ask at avxl.com. He needs a new AV receiver. He's got an old Phillips system. He wants to replace it. He says nothing special. I got to be honest with you, Dennis, entry level uh, 5.1 and 7.2 channel AVRs. That would be the AVR S540BT and the AVR S758. They sell for $300 and $549. Those, those are perfect for you. Um, if you can swing the extra cash for the S758, I would get that one because that'll give you, uh, you know, five channels for the surround sound channels and a pair of most height channels. You can also use them, I think, for the rear channels. Uh, it gives you a little bit more future-proofing. I personally would go with the Atmos height channels because I think Atmos is pretty freaking cool. I tend to run an AVR for, I think, probably an average of about five years. So if you can get something that's a little more future-proofed, I would recommend it. Either one of those are going to do a fantastic job driving your current speakers and as you evolve your next set of speakers. If you're looking to save cash on your speakers, refurbished is often a great deal. Like I wouldn't buy an open box from Best Buy because usually they take like $10 off the price and you'll find out like half the parts are missing. Right. <laughs> like I don't want to slag on Best Buy because Best Buy has been doing a really great job, you know, with the customer service and, you know, being competitively priced. But let me be honest, uh, their open box deals are often pathetic. Beware. And check. Yeah, beware. There are a lot of cases, for example, the only place I could find a 3700H was to buy a, a refurbished model from a Denon... Uh, authorized reseller. Dealer. Authorized reseller. Thank you. Because literally, they were utterly sold out in the United States. So I agree with that. That would be a way to save some more cash towards your next set of speakers. If the company who manufactured it took a look at the product and is willing to put their stamp on it in terms of calling it a refurbished unit, right? I'm way more comfortable with that than something, like you said, an open box yeah. of questionable <laughs> provenance. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, there's nothing more annoying than finding out that, you know, somebody threw it down the yeah, cat urine. That's the only thing I'm going to say about open box hell, cat urine. Joy. That has nothing to do with Best Buy. Another no. experience, another outlet, long time ago. It was a wild place, New York, back in the day. <laughs> Michael emailed AskDavyXL.com. He says, I recently came across Optoma's UHD50X. I use my JVC RS420 for gaming all the time, but would love to take advantage of the native 4K and 1080p 120 hertz that my PS5 can output. I'm curious if you think we'll see more high frame rate projectors in the future. I'm personally sensitive to DLP Rainbow, so I don't think the UHD 50X is for me, but I love the idea. Thanks, Mike. Yeah, there will be more. And it's going to be one of those chicken or the egg things where is it going to take everyone being able to buy a next generation console for there to be enough demand for it? Or are the projector people going to lead? There's a really great review of the uh, UHD 50X Optoma's gaming projector uh john higgins wrote up at projector central got their highly recommended reward but 
when you look at this, like the 120 hertz, 240 hertz is limited to 1080p, and the lag significantly decreases as you go up with the frame rate, which I thought was kind of fascinating Very in cool. a good way. Yeah, you're not running 120 hertz at 4K. True that. That's something that's, that's worth pointing out. As far as projector technologies go, I think the DLP folks may have it easier in the sense that yeah. that engine can already do an incredible frame per second. It can literally alter its pixels five, 10,000 times per second if need be. They don't use it that way, but it has the horsepower to be able to do something like that rather not easily, but it can do it provided you provide the appropriate HDMI inputs to take advantage of that. It should right. be, I think, more doable on a DLP-based system than it would be from, say, oh, LCD or any of the liquid crystal and silicon style mm -hmm. chips that are used in projectors today. Yeah. But don't quote me on that. I think every manufacturer <laughs> is going to be looking at gaming more and more and making sure that if they can easily offer something like 1080p at 120 or let alone 4K 120, they want to do it and because that will give them cred on the street as far as gamers go and something to take a look at and to see if it really makes a difference or not. I am way happy anytime I can get my frame rates or my refresh rates on displays above 60 right. when I'm gaming. That just really can make a tremendous difference, even in general usability for even a Windows desktop, I find it's preferable, but it's still kind of pushing it as far as the display technologies go. Right. It's good to see it as affordable as it is from something like the UHD 50. Let's hope that that just becomes kind of a standard thing you'll see on more and more projectors going forward. I think it's going to take time. It's been interesting to watch gaming slowly emerge as this thing like, oh, yes, it does happen in the living room. And, you know, these people spend money. And if these people spend money, perhaps we should cater to their desires for the best performance for their dollars. So I also feel like projectors always move very slowly compared to televisions in terms of progress. Uh, that also may be because I've run projectors in my house for, you know, a very long time. And, you know, you're always kind of trailing the televisions unless you have like a half million dollars, but I don't. <laughs> Speaking of money. So I was down the rat hole reading uh, Marvel's Cinematic Universe stuff around the Falcon and the Winter Soldier series, which I really enjoyed. And I couldn't believe an article that showed up on Screen Rant in the sidebar. Uh, quote, the budget for Amazon's Lord of the Ring TV series has been revealed and the total cost is more than the original film trilogy combined. Wow. If you missed the Lord of the Rings announcement from Amazon, that was back in 2019. The series is supposed to cover the second age of Middle Earth. It's like 3,000 years. It ends with the uh, temporary, if only for hundreds of years, defeat of Sauron. Their first season was targeted at 20 episodes. Amazon spent $465 million so far and is expected to spend the better part of a billion dollars if they do the whole five-season arc. Screen Rant's uh, Bethany Guerrero notes, quote, Lord of the Rings could be the most expensive, exhaustive, and extensive TV series of all time. Outside of going, holy crap, that's a lot of money. We've talked on and off over the years about, for example, Netflix's staggering investment in original content, which was followed to some degree, well, actually in a massive degree now. It was initially, there was a tentative outreach from Amazon and then later Apple, and, and both those two are, are spending staggering amounts of money. HBO, of course, the network started all this, and HBO and CBS and NBC and Paramount are all catching up. A lot of people don't realize is there's whole networks out there that you've probably never heard of or seen. Uh, Freeform, uh, which I didn't know existed until it showed up in the corner of Roku. 
yeah, your series called Motherland, Fort Salem, which I find fascinating, and I really need to finish that series. You remember Preform, Rob? No? No. No? Yeah, I do not. Neither did I. Well, it turns out it's a subsidiary of ABC slash Disney. And who knows? Maybe it's all over cable, and I just didn't know it because I haven't had cable for the better part of a decade. It's kind of crazy to think about is... As always, discovering new shows or figuring out the least expensive way of seeing them or figuring out a better looking version of them. Because I was watching a movie on Showtime the other night and I was like, woo, I love this. And I was like, woo, this is a crappy transfer and it's compressed all the hell. This is going to continue to be a a challenge uh, moving forward. I love Ted Lasso. I wouldn't know Ted Lasso existed. Uh, if it wasn't for a friend of mine that tweeted about the show and, you know, that's on Apple TV plus, which I was a subscriber to. And the primary tool my family uses right now for watching television is an Apple TV. So, uh, I, you know, <laughs> it just continues to, it continues to be interesting to watch all this evolve. It also is kind of mind blowing how much money is being spent on content. And Amazon, I think is also you know, I think they were working on like a massively multiplayer online uh, Lord of the Rings-ish universe that they just round filed the entire project recently. So it, maybe that's more of a, you know, spending insane money as an Amazon thing. Well, clearly also, it seems that for this outlay of cash, uh, half a billion right. to a billion for all of this, uh, clearly Lord of the Rings pulls in the eyeballs. They must have ran the numbers on yeah. this because you think about how many original pieces of content you could have created for a billion dollars. <laughs> and yeah, yeah uh, I granted you're probably taking more of a risk doing it that way than, you know, experimenting with the new rather than going back to the, the precious and <laughs> putting out more <laughs> of that. So yeah, I, this does not affect me in any way, shape, or form, other than my Amazon Prime bill may go up next year for no, well, for a very good reason. <laughs> but you're right. Yeah. All of these platform owners are adopting more of their own production of content right. as the time goes by. Even Roku now right. is looking to produce their own content because you get the most bang for the buck in terms of investment. If you can attract the eyeballs with content that you homegrown. Right. Another option, of course, is <laughs> go Lord of the Rings and hit them with the fire hose of cash. People don't realize how much their audiences are global. That's know? a and, good point. You know, that's one of the things you can do. Like, you know, if I was, I had to explain to, to one of my boys, they're like, you know, why is there eight minutes of all these different languages? I'm like, well, these are the people who did the voice acting in all these different countries for this series. And this series is available in all of these different languages and all of these different countries all around the world. And it's one of the things that Atmos does that makes it really easy to swap in uh, different voice actors for all the characters. It's a little crazy. Um, speaking of going back to the well, whether you should or not, <laughs> winter is coming again, kind of. Uh, HBO's House of the Dragon which is based on Fire and Blood, which is yet another very long book. It's the story of the Targaryens taking power. They started filming out this week for HBO. I don't want to get started talking again about the final season of Game of Thrones. I will say that episode that was so dark uh, looks much better on HBO Max or the uh, UHD Blu-ray. I, I'm still way more excited about season two of, of Ted Lasso. Uh, <laughs> very cool. Yeah, I was laughing. <laughs> I was just kind of like, oh, back to the Game of Thrones universe, huh? Hey, there's some eyeballs to be had there. There are. Nomadland, by the way, uh, you might remember it from the Oscar ceremony. Uh, is out on Blu-ray this week. And The Good and the Bad and the Ugly and Donnie Darko are out on 4K UHD. I'm not sure I can ever watch Donnie Darko again. It's one of those movies that I watched once. And uh, 
I don't know if I can ever watch that again. Right. <laughs> but if you're a fan, uh, it is out on 4K UHD this week. So, And if you're looking for your like, 17th opportunity to own the good, the bad, and the ugly, it's here. <laughs> I've at least gotten into a habit of late where if I'm trying to find something that was originally, say, on DVD, not even Blu-ray, and I may still have it, I've been checking all my sources just to see my streaming right. providers to see if any of them may have it. Because occasionally I'll be surprised by just surfing around through Amazon's video selection and finding an older movie. And for right. whatever reason, their transfers look fantastic. At least the few I've sampled for classic movies I like to watch. And I was sure. honestly quite surprised at how I felt the quality well and exceeded maybe the old DVD I had for sure. It's always something to keep it's in mind. It's nice when that happens. I had somebody to asking me about old TV shows and making their old four by three content they had. I don't think it was VHS based, but it was DVD based most likely. And some of that wasn't transferred very well. And I'm always hoping it's like, well, have you checked all your own sources first to make sure that maybe they have it already? And it would look better than even dealing with trying to upconvert that content into something that looks presentable right. on a 4K screen. But if you're paying for these services, take a look at them once in a while. <laughs> they may yeah. surprise you with some of the older content they have on there and in what I would call not video file grade, but far and above, at least better than that DVD release originally was. And I appreciate that. It's always challenging when you're trying to find, especially obscure content. That's true. I got to say, I'm still kind of amazed and delighted by the work the Criterion Collection does. And the Criterion Channel, they actually have a whole collection of Marx Brothers movies coming up this month, Ooh. which I'm really kind of excited to see those because everything the Criterion Channel touches or the Criterion touches with their DVD and Blu-ray releases is always kind of mind-alteringly good. So if you like classic movies... Keep an eye out. Uh, if you, or you haven't checked it out, check out the Criterion channel. It is worth your time. There's some amazing stuff up there. Nice. I had a follow-up for the Kelman Aurora Color Engine that I mentioned last week as part of their latest release candidate software for the uh, portrait displays, Kelman software for calibrating displays. I had a chance to finally dig into it a little bit more and actually test it out on a couple of different TVs and... It is clearly optimized now for displays with programmable 3D lookup tables. Hmm. I can take measurements of the TV and then program its internal responses to color and detail directly Whoa. to the TV. And that is what LG's OLED tech and a few other select manufacturers have been offering. It's even now extending into LG's new dual laser projector that just came out, that 810. It's also great for some pro monitors out there. M many pro monitors, one of the reasons they call them pro monitors is the fact that they have these programmable lookup tables rather than going into menus and making adjustments within whatever those exposed settings are. You're actually telling the display what to do. With this latest software release, I am finding the at least the initial results are looking great. The new method that's built into this Aurora Color Engine actually includes a way to better manage OLED panel temperatures during the calibration process. It actually turns out that, especially with HDR content, and we were just talking about how, how bright should your HDR be, but when it is in that HDR mode, that's where the temperatures of the panel itself can rise to their highest. And especially when you're displaying something like an intense smallish window with 100%, you know, say white or some particular color, that can actually raise the temperature above what it would be during normal viewing sessions where uh, the TV has more of a time to fluctuate and balance itself out. 
And it's actually something that they've addressed within the software update for Calman in terms of adding in some additional modes to help keep the temperatures manageable, as well as give me a terrific excuse to bring my uh, thermal gun and or thermal camera on a calibration job just to do some initial tests to see that is it doing what I expect it to do and is the fact that as these panels heat up, especially if you're doing long calibration sessions in HDR in particular, that by the fact of the panel itself heating up, it can actually affect its output. And if you're in the middle of a calibration that's been going on for, say, 20, 30 minutes, and the TV has well and exceeded what it would normally be doing under normal video display, this just gives you a way to help better manage that by inserting some patterns that are less intense every other second. The problem I'm going to run into, and I, I'll, I'll predict this right now, is that it, while this should produce even better modes with especially HDR calibration on compatible displays, it's going to simply add more time to it because it, despite the fact I'm using a really fast meter, if I have to basically pause every second to give the TV a chance to not get so hot, that's just going to add more time to the job. But I am curious to go back and forth between the current method and this updated method just to see if I can, at least in graphical form, see the improvements as well as I'm now curious to know what the max stable temperature of my OLED panel is. And I'll be <laughs> digging into that some more, but so far so good. And I am looking forward to seeing more manufacturers adopt these lookup table programming methods for making these displays look fundamentally reference. And there are a few manufacturers out there. I'm looking at you, Samsung, who likely are not going to be adopting such a thing. At least maybe, maybe if rumors hold true, when they finally uh, unveil an LG-based Samsung OLED TV, maybe it'll creep in through the back door that way. But I'm not holding my breath. <laughs> we wait with bated breath. Yeah. You were surprised by this. I am not surprised by this for different reasons, but uh, you wanted to give everybody a, a graphics driver warning. Seriously, I am always surprised to find notebooks that have decent GeForce graphics built into them using whatever driver that notebook originally shipped with, and it was never updated. Right. People seem to think that's just something that's automatic that happens in the background, but no, uh, especially if you're using something made within the last five years that has a well-labeled NVIDIA chipset in it, hit up NVIDIA.com, select your driver package, and do a clean install today and get some improved performance. Also, there have been significant security issues being squashed through the last few updates I've seen from NVIDIA's driver packages, and that is probably even a more important reason to do so. Yeah. If you update the driver and weird things start happening, you might actually be forced to use the manufacturer's driver to fix them. Uh, I have an all-in-one. The graphics driver you can get through the manufacturer is probably two or three years old now, which means, you know, if the probably the, the best reason to update these drivers is because as the drivers are updated, you will get significant improvements in in game performance they will update a driver for a new game and it, we've seen ridiculous 20 30 percent uh, frame rate performance improvements just from having the driver optimized however when i put an updated driver on this all-in-one pc there was a hiccup every two seconds on the keyboard and mouse Ugh. it would stop accepting input on the uh, mouse or the keyboard didn't matter if you were in a text pad or a video game or using a browser or anything. 
it was maddening. I spent the better part of, I, I, I spent a significant chunk of time over two or three weeks. And finally, I was just like, I'm just going to install the, the only thing I hadn't changed was installing the factory driver for the video. And the second I installed that, it fixed everything, which really pissed me off. <laughs> that is an annoyance that's been around for a long time. And I fully, yeah. fully agree with you on that. The nice thing is at least in the last few years, uh, last five years yeah. or so, is that the dedicated graphics chips now on notebook computers, right. especially notebooks, are now end-user upgradable through the drivers provided by the chipset manufacturer directly. In right. this case, I'm talking about NVIDIA, where you can literally go on their driver section. They should be, but they aren't always. <laughs> they should work, but they don't always work. But if you've Just never saying. visited that page, check it out. Yeah. and You should. If, like you said, all else fails... Go to your manufacturer's website for your particular notebook or device yeah. and then pull them from there. Granted, they won't be the latest and greatest, but I too have a rather old NVIDIA based, I think it was even a motherboard chipset with built in graphics on like an all in one computer that it has to use this. It's a really old computer, but it, it cannot use any of the new driver packages. It has to use this old right. package, but at least it's still listed. If you <laughs> dig far enough into the NVIDIA website, you can still find that driver package and install it. Keeps that old box running. I have no complaints. And I just updated my graphics card. My beloved, the most popular graphics card in all of Steam, the 1060. <laughs> I'm still rolling with it. I patiently wait for some supply of something better to come along. But anyway, update those drivers, oh enjoy some uh, improved security, hopefully improved performance. And if you are rolling yeah. a really nice notebook with good graphics hardware in it, yeah, take a look at what that driver number is and compare it to what's available. Two of my friends with two rather high-end gaming notebooks, both of them running literally years old, years old drivers on those things. And, you know, it wasn't like it was breaking everything left and right, but it made a significant <laughs> improvement in terms of their gaming performance and enjoyability just by getting that updated. I'm uh, back up on Bandcamp. Trampled by Turtles. They actually have a bunch of uh, concerts they recorded up there, along with a bunch of their early albums that are no longer available, like songs from a ghost town. Just saying, it's not just crazy, angry medley bands <laughs> in case you listened to 13 monsters and you were horrified that, love that song <laughs> that just gives me a flashback to this weekend i was just randomly scrolling through radio stations in my car just seeing i was in the middle of nowhere what was on right. it stopped on like a, a day of like 20 years ago 30 years ago yeah. of casey Kasem doing the top 40 countdown and it was just so fascinating to hear him talk about like an artist like Madonna, where it was like her second song that had been put out. This new artist called Madonna. And I was just like, <laughs> what? What am I listening to? Are you kidding me? And it was ah, nostalgia kicked in and I was just cracking up. It was so funny because I used nostalgia. to, I used what as a young person, I swore by that kind of weekly entertainment where it was like, oh, what's, what's number one this week? We did not have the social media to tell me everything instantly the way we do today. I miss Mr. Case, his various voice acting <laughs> skills as well. On that bright and cheerful note, ladies and gentlemen, 
This is AVXL. We talk about home theater. We talk about personal audio. We talk about stereo audio. We talk about home theater audio and uh, various other things as you may have picked up if this is your first episode of AVXL. You can find our website at avxl.com. It includes all of the links you might need to subscribe to the podcast or just search for AVXL on your favorite podcatcher. If you want to help support us, and we'd appreciate it if you did, go to patreon.com slash AVXL. And be, you know, for a few dollars a month, you can help support us. Uh, we only charge you if we do four episodes in a month and uh which means we're probably not charging you for april <laughs> but we're damn well expect to charge you in may so it's good it's been exciting but uh seriously as always email ask at avxl.com if you got questions or tweet at patrick norton or at robert heron that's the best way to get hold of us and if you feel fancy hashtag ask avxl uh is always nice Woo-hoo. or just tweet at avxl or at Robert Heron, or at Patrick Norton, because we're there. We'll see it. We do that thing. Yeah, we do. With that, ladies and gentlemen, I'm Patrick Norton. Hey, I am Robert Heron. We'll catch you next week on AVXL.